Welcome to the Successful Life Podcast, your go-to source for insights and strategies in the HVAC, plumbing, and roofing industries. I'm Corey Barrier, here to guide you through transformative approaches to business and mindset. Each episode will explore unique methods, focusing on identifying and addressing the core challenges in your field. Our goal is to equip you and your team with practical solutions that foster growth and success. So whether you're tuning in for the first time or you're a longtime listener, get ready to dive into a wealth of knowledge and expertise. Let's begin our journey to success together. This is the successful life. It's Corey Barrier. Yeah, come learn with me. Take you down the path of our journeys. This is the successful life. It's time to take what you learn. Apply it to your life. It's your turn. To live a successful life. You are tuning in to the Successful Life Podcast. Three, Successful Life Podcast is a space where you can hear stories from badass entrepreneurs and influencers that collectively have millions of listeners and followers. You get to hear their backstories and where they are currently. We discuss how precious your life is and crucial it is to live with a purpose and die knowing the person looking in the mirror today. This is the successful life. Corey Barrier, yeah, come learn with me. Take you down the path of our journeys. This is the successful life. It's time to take what you learn. Apply it to your life. It's your turn to live a successful life. You are tuning in to the Successful Life Podcast. Welcome to the Successful Life Podcast. I am your host, Corey Barrier, and I am here with Todd Thompson. Hey, Todd, what's going on, brother? Hey, Corey. Uh, just enjoying a Friday morning, man. I hear you. Good to be alive today, my man. Good to be alive and, and healthy. So, Todd, hey. um, man, I am, you know, we have a mutual friend, Kat, that introduced the two of us uh, via, uh, you know, via uh, messaging. And, and so Todd and I have had a quick conversation, but I am super stoked to hear about some of the things he's done because I don't know the whole backstory about the things that he's built and the accomplishments that he's had. And so uh, I hope you guys are ready for an awesome show today because it's about to be really, really good. So Todd, welcome my man. And uh, I'd love for you just to take off and tell me a little bit about where you started. Um, Let's talk about Todd, where are you from, and and how did you get into building your first business? Sure, sure. So, oh boy, where to start? So, I I live in central Illinois. Um, I grew up here in a a rural area. Uh, We lived out in the country between a couple of towns. So, um, you know, had had a lot of friends in in both towns. Um, spent my summers on my grandfather's land in East Texas. So we spent the summers down there helping him uh, manage a couple hundred acres. And uh, where to begin? You know, I guess my first business um, started when I was about 14. Um, I had a Somebody asked me to mow. That was in about 1980, 81 or 82. Um, I was asked to mow a piece of property for a bank um, that had been repossessed for a savings and loan. And that was 
during the savings and loan scandals and, and kind of a financial crisis in the U.S., um, I think interest rates had climbed to maybe 20 percent. A lot of people had lost their jobs. And in the town we lived in, um, it seemed like every other house was for sale. You know, maybe every third house was for sale or repossessed. And so I, I was asked to mow one lawn for a bank, and, and that turned into, uh, over time, about, um, about 50 lawns. Um, at first, my dad would drop me off, and I would push my mower from one, one place to the other. And in pretty quick order, um, I realized that I um, needed to hire a driver. So I hired a kid that had a driver's license, and, and uh, we took an old dump truck that we, we cleaned up and got back on the road. And, and uh, that's what we started uh, a mowing business. You know, with, By the time I was 15, I think I had five or six guys working for me, and, and we were doing uh, a lot of lawns, and that grew into cleaning out these, these houses that had been uh, – uh, taken back by the bank. So we'd clean them out and that led to winterizing and, and just kind of grew and grew, you know, uh, um, you know, good, bad, or otherwise, I was probably doing better financially than a lot of my friends' parents were. Gosh, dude. So Todd, let me ask you a question. I love asking people this question. That, yeah, that's, that is absolutely incredible story, first of all. And thank you for sharing that. So is that, I want you to really think about this for a second. Was that the first time you made money and what i mean by that so for me when i was probably five or six years old i realized that i lived on a golf course and i realized that people would hit their golf balls including myself into the woods and they just wouldn't go get them because we were at a country club and i guess they just didn't care um and so i would go and i'd collect the golf balls and i'd clean them off and i would take them and sell them to the sporting goods place and that's the first that's the first money I I made. So with, was this the first time that you felt like you were uh, you know you turned a profit for yourself? No, no, I was a you know I was kind of an OSHA poster child. My dad ran a small um, construction company that built multifamily houses and light commercial work, and and I grew up you know playing in the in the ditches and in the rafters of these. Uh, structures that he would build so you know probably more to get me out of his hair he would he would say hey go do this job or do that job clean out the back of these you know maybe they'd give me a task to clean out the back of all the guys on the jobs trucks you know back then I mean we're talking in the in the 70s you know the job might be clean the beer cans out of the back of the truck or or fill the nail holes in you know and in, in all the wood trim or I don't know uh, mixed mud for the masons or you know i would just i was just hanging around so any any little task any of the trades people would would have they would you know probably it probably started just fun for them but they give me a couple of bucks to do that kind of work and i guess that's where your entrepreneurial uh, journey really started i mean and that was you were what probably probably maybe the same age i was uh five or six yeah, years old yeah, yeah, it was it was oh, definitely a child. I, I don't I don't really recall. I mean, I don't know that I've ever um, really not had some sort of entrepreneurial drive. Yeah, it makes sense, and I, I guess I I believe you know for me anyway, you know I think that uh, people are just born you know entrepreneurs are different breed of people. You know, people I think a lot of people see the the finished product and they think wow. You know, Todd's really made it, 
and and wow, he probably had an overnight success, but people don't realize that it started at a super young age. And for you to have a crew under you at 15 years old, man, I mean, that's amazing, dude. I've never heard anybody tell me something like that. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and I didn't really, you don't really think of it as, as, I think from an entrepreneurial standpoint, I never really had time to compare to what else was going on in the world. You know, you just kind of every once in a while look back and take inventory and go, oh, wow, this, these things all, all lined up to where I am today. And so, you know, um, personality type, uh, I don't know if there's a, if I, if I believe there's a true entrepreneurial personality type, I think any personality type can be an entrepreneur. You know, the, I went to a seminar, uh, several years ago after we had opened an art center and, um, the seminar was the business of art. And so there's a bunch of artists in the room and, uh, and the um, presenters were going to break out into some breakout groups. So one of the groups I went to was just uh, uh, about how to structure your, your business. And you could just see the artists falling asleep and, and, and just, you know, they were not interested in, in the topic. And what it left me thinking was um, you could teach the same seminar, but instead of the business of art, teach the art of business. Right, because there's no, there's no one formula that fits everybody. Every personality type, every you know, every human has so many dynamics, and you can, you can approach business your way. And that's the beautiful thing about business. It's the beautiful thing about business in, in the United States of America is you can approach it your way. Um, and it's not right or wrong. It's just, it's just how you choose to do business. Um, obviously, there's some things that you have to get right. But that's a really small percentage. That's like 10 or 15% of, of what it takes to run your individual business, if that makes any sense. It does. It absolutely does. You know, Todd, I have to ask you. So, you know, being, and I, I know I keep going back to the 15-year-old story because I'm just blown away. But, uh, you know, at 15 years old and having, I, clearly you were making really good money. Did you, uh, I have to ask you, did you wind up going to school? Uh, did you go to college? Uh, because I would think being that young and making that amount of money um, could potentially steer somebody away from going to college, and rightfully so. So what was your experience with it? Did you go to school? <laughs> Attention contractors of the Successful Life podcast. Want to supercharge your business decisions? We've got something just for you. Head over to our website, SuccessfulLifePodcast.com, and click on the free download button to grab your copy of Warning When Hiring a Leadership Coach. Equip yourself with the insights you need to make informed decisions for your business. Don't miss out. Oh, uh, yeah. Good, good. Somebody's parents are going to call me after this. <laughs> no, actually, I kind of quit going to school. <laughs> I quit going to high school. I didn't go much my junior year. Not sure how I. Uh, not sure how they passed me, but maybe somebody was motivated to do that, or maybe it was just in the cards. But so I didn't go much my my uh, junior year, and then uh, my dad made a deal with me because I was really a great student, um, but I just didn't have time for it anymore. You know, I had I had things to do, um, so I didn't go much my junior. By then I was you know driving and and uh, 
and taking care of a lot of work. And um, so my senior year, my dad made a deal with me that he would he would make the application for the work program, tell the school because the school the school didn't want to hear that I ran my own business. You know that nobody that 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 couldn't happen, right? They didn't. There was no program for that. So um, so my dad signed the papers that that I worked for him and um, and then he could make a request that one day a week he needed me full all day so I worked a half a day I went to school a half a day and his stipulation was if I stayed on the on the high grade mark high honors that um, that he would give me every Monday off and then I could work so that's what I did I took some whatever classes I needed to graduate and um, and, and, and brought in high grades and, and I took Mondays off and, and I worked a half a day. Um, I had the half a days and then my weekends to get my work done. And so, you know, from that point, um, you know, when I was a kid, you don't get me wrong that from, from that point, I just really never looked back. I just, um, I just went to work. I mean, look, I'm going to be totally honest with you. I would be shocked if, it, if the story would have turned out any differently because, you know, once you get that, once you get that 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 bug of I can I can do this and make money, why do I need to go to school? I think it's probably you know this happens to a lot of people. This really I mean it really yeah. does. Um, for me, you know, I wound up graduate. I did graduate high school, but then I went to work for my dad at at um, at a, a large large tobacco company. And it was awesome because I was making, you know, at the time, which I was 18 years old, I was making like $35,000, $40,000 a year, which was a lot of money for an 18-year-old sure. back in 1996. And sure. so it, I think that steered me. And, you know, I had jobs, obviously, up into that, up until that, I mean. Um, sure, sure. But once you get that taste, it's hard to, hard to shake that. So um, let's dive into the the first town that's the part i'm excited i mean i look so far i've loved your story but this is the part i've really been waiting to hear um because i i can't wait to hear about the first town so now if there's anything leading up to that by the by by, if there's anything leading up that by all means fill in the blanks but that's why i want to sure sure so 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 at at a you know young age I, i i moved out on my own and um uh, moved out west. I think when I turned seven, I graduated early, so I turned 17. I moved out to Colorado, took a job, a couple of little jobs out there. Really, I just wanted to ski for a couple of winters, so I went out and did that. And then uh, uh, my brother, my brother, my mom, and my grandpa all got sick at about the same time, so I came home to help help the family work through some things. And um, and then as we worked through that, I went to work. Uh, for a commercial construction company, um, traveling around the United States building stores. And I was a, an employee, um, really had a knack for the trade, for the carpentry trade. So um, I started a company um, doing this kind of work. Um, started off just cleaning up the job sites, grew into a commercial carpentry company, which led to um, contracts, you know, um, national contracts with the Gap and Banana Republic and Old Navy and limited brands, Victoria's Secret and whatnot. And before you know it, I've got, uh, you know, this leads up to having people traveling all over the United States, building these 
doing the finished carpentry work, like really high-end finished carpentry work on all of these um, national retail brands. Todd, forgive me and, for uh, interrupting. Forgive me for interrupting. When you say carpentry work, can you just take? Can you be a little bit more specific? Exactly what that means in this in this scenario? Yeah, sure. It's it's all the um, we would install. We would go into um, like a mall setting or a, uh, a standalone restaurant out in a parking lot, like an um, uh, TGI Fridays or an Applebee's, and we would install all of the millwork, all of the trim, the bar, the booths, the, the wall oh, wow. casing, um, all the specialty products, bathroom accessories. Um, you know, they were they were mostly probably I don't know. 40,000 40, to $150,000 jobs, just what, what's called the trim packages, the carpentry trim packages. And mm. so we had, uh, had guys traveling around the United States in vans doing that work. And then that turned into most of our work. Um, uh, we, we really found a great place where we were one of the premier installers for The Gap Inc., which owned Old Navy and Pottery Barn and Banana Republic and all of The Gap all of the Gap brands, kids, baby. Um, and so anyway, so we're working for the Gap and I don't know how many stores we were building a year, a lot, maybe maybe 70 or 50 or something like that. And then um, I got a call from the VP of construction one day. So I'm getting you close, I'm taking you to how I ended up in town. I get a call from the VP of construction one day and he says, hey, Todd, just wanna let you know we're not building any more stores next year. Um, and I said, oh, okay. Generally, when he would call, you know, he would tell me, hey, you need to add another crew because we're building so many stores. At the time, they were the largest retail contractor in the world because of the work they were doing, because of the Gap's growth. Um, and one company did all of the construction, and we were a subcontractor to that company. So just to give you an idea, we were a subcontractor to the largest retail contractor in the world at the time. Good Lord. Um, right. Right. And so we helped, you know, during Y2K, um, uh, we helped uh, with new store design. And so I was, my crews were building the stores and we were so efficient at it that they hired us to help them design the new store and, and, and solve the constructability issues of the design they wanted to roll out for Y2K, which everybody was doing, you know, new, new store designs for, for the year 2000. Um, so my job was to Other companies, how to build these stores in the efficient you, manner that our crews were, were building them. So Todd, things were cut, going you really well. For the, you cut out for just a second there, so I missed part of the story. You said that they yeah. they were the Y2K, and that's kind of where we cut off. Can you can you pick back up there? I'm oh sorry. sure, sure, sure. So so for Y2K, um, the year 2000, most of the major retailers were designing new stores. So the Gap hired me to. Um, help them solve constructability issues with their new store design. Our, our crews were extremely efficient at doing what we did. So they not only hired us to, to, to go to San Francisco and sit in on design meetings, um, then they hired us to travel around me and, and one of my staff to travel around North America, um, teaching other crews how to build these stores. Wow. That's pretty impressive, dude. Okay, go ahead, go ahead. So, so, so so to get to the town um, in about, I don't really remember what year it was, maybe 2000 and maybe it was 2008. 
um, let's see, what is it now, 20? That might be right. And about, maybe it was 2008, I get a call from the VP of construction and I call him back. I was sure he was gonna ask me to add more crews and do more work because that's kind of how our relationship had been for several years. And um, his message was, was not that, but it was that um, we're not building any more stores next year. And, and I was, it kind of took me back. I thought, well, what do you mean? Not building any more than last year? He said, no, zero. We're building no stores next year. And I just want to give you a heads up. So, so here I am with all my eggs in this one basket. Things are going really well. And I get a call that, that the party's over. There'll be no Fine. work next year. How, I mean, how did you feel when that happened? That had to be like a punch in the stomach you know it, at first you know fear sets in what am i going to do oh my gosh this is my life right and then relief sets in hey great i get to re i get to reinvent myself um and then and then relief sets in and goes oh wow all this all that all that goes with satisfying this national client i don't have to worry about anymore it's over right and, and there's nothing i can do you know, the reality is, right, change what you can and accept what you can't. There's, there's no words or actions from me that are, gonna, that are going to um, get this, the board of this national company, international company, to change their mind and have them build stores so that Todd can go to work. Um, so I just accepted it and decided that I would take a year off. I would go home, spend some time on a farm we had bought. I bought this building in, in, a, in my hometown. Um, you cut out again Todd um, she used to sell we, we built houses for a couple of years like we built 10 or 12 houses nope okay um yeah you, so, said you, so bought anyway, a, you, bought, you bought a building in town and then you then it cut out for some reason okay okay um so I buy this building and uh, I bought it while I was doing work for for um, traveling around the United States came home on a weekend bought it, it was a great great little building for a good price and uh my intention was to flip it or rent it or i didn't really know i just seemed like a good place to put some money um so when i got home when i when, when the gap work was over i came home and i'm like well i'll spend some time with this building and um i did the due diligence that i should have done before i bought the building and realized that the vacancy rate in my hometown was about 72 percent in the historic business district so okay. no wonder I got a good buy on the building. There was no demand. Right. Right. I bought the building. I don't know, seven or eight dollars a square foot. Maybe. And maybe. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And right now, what is it? Just for comparison purposes, right now it's worth what per square foot? Well, I sold. I ended up selling the building, but probably, probably five times value. Wow. You know, most the most recent building sold in town sold for $100 a square foot. Good Lord. That's so, a massive we used, difference. Yeah, we used to buy $10 a foot. You could buy all day long. Wow. So, so I went to the, to the town, to the city. They had an economic development um, person. So I went to him, uh, Steve. And I said, Steve, tell me what's going on here. Why, why, why such a high vacancy rate? Um, or, or no, what I asked him was, 
why can't I rent or sell my building? Like nobody's interested. And then I started looking around. He goes, he goes, that's interesting. You should ask. We've got a main street restructuring committee meeting this afternoon. Why don't you come? So I went to the meeting and, um, I had been that this is my hometown where I grew up. There's another town that I had been involved with. Um, I bought a couple of buildings with, with uh, two friends and we remodeled them, opened a winery and a little restaurant and, and did some revitalization work, had a little taste of that and, and enjoyed it. So I shared that with the restructuring committee and they're like, oh my gosh, we need you to do that in Pekin. So I went to their meetings. They were, they were doing things, you know, having events, right? They were having parades and they were having chili cook-offs and everybody in town would come, the 30,000 person town, they would fill the streets downtown and then everybody would leave, right? These, these events and there were no businesses to enjoy while we were there. There was just this backdrop of old historic buildings that were vacant. So um, I did an inventory of the building, uh, walked the street, put together a spreadsheet of what's here, who owns these buildings, what the, con- you know, from my construction background, what the condition of the buildings are, and, um, and what I thought it would cost to, um, to stabilize these buildings, at least have them tenant ready, because these buildings were in horrible shape. I mean, we're talking 30 or 40 years of deferred maintenance. Oh, wow. So, you know, back up, when I, when I left the gap, I was going to take a year off and just think about what I want wanted to do um that lasted about two weeks <laughs> then i then i then I, I i find myself walking the alleys and the streets with my my clipboard and my computer and driving in my truck and taking pictures and creating this this true snapshot of what's going on in this town so when i have that i, I report back to the city hey there's this really high density of blight down by the riverfront in the first block right? I think we need to do something about that. And the building inspector told me, hey, I really appreciate the information. We've got it under control. Um, we're in, you know, just so you know, we're in communication with all of the owners of those buildings. Um, we're working towards a- acquisition and demolition, so we won't have that blight anymore. We're going to take down those, that block of buildings. So to me, I thought, well, what's, you know, how are, one, how are you going to do it? How are you going to fund it? And what's the cost? So they shared that with me. They had a, um, a mechanism called TIF, tax increment financing. Um, a lot of towns have this TIF and they use it for, uh, they use the TIF for uh, municipal improvements, sewers, sidewalks, signs, those sort of things. So immediately I thought, well, let me, let me learn about this TIF. Let me find out what, what can and can't happen with, this, with these dollars. Um, I dive in and I realize that you can use the money for, for um, stabilization and, and uh, even partnering with private dollars to um, enhance the district and, uh, that the TIF is created around. And even furthermore, that was really the goal of the TIF was, was not to take buildings off of the tax roll, but it was to increase the the value of the building so that the tax roll raised so that all the taxing districts like parks and schools and, and libraries and the city itself would have a greater income at the end of the life of the TIF. Okay. So, so I, I, I educate myself on this TIF thing and I, I find out from the city that they had a budget of about, I don't remember what the number 700,000, I think for acquisition and demolition of these buildings. And I plug that number into each of the buildings that they're going to tear down. 
and realized that if I would buy the buildings and insure them and put that money into them, I would have, I could stabilize the buildings, put new roofs, windows, doors, masonry tuck pointing, and have a building that was ready for tenant improvements and not lose a century old building. So I show up to the city, I go, hey, I've got a plan, right? I'm gonna, I'll, I'll buy these buildings. We'll put the same amount of money into them and I'll give you back uh, a positive EAV, right? You're gonna improve your tax base by taking um, ownership of these buildings, keeping them on the tax roll and um, stabilizing them and putting tenants in, right? I've got this figured out. So the first question obviously from the city is, well, who are your tenants? We haven't had a new tenant in downtown for 25 years. Who's your tenant? I'm like, my answer is, I have no idea. Just let me get the, just help me get the building stabilized and, and, and I got this, I'll, I'll get somebody in there, right? right? So this conversation goes on for two and a half years, right? They just can't believe it. But the good news is there's a conversation and there's a proposal in front of them. So they're really struggling to tear the buildings down because a couple of council members are excited about what I believe in what I can do. And, and most of the council members and the city manager don't believe I can do what I say I could do. So this goes on for a couple of years. City manager retires. We get an interim city manager. And Frank says, you know, first day he's in the, he's, he's on the job, I'm knocking on his door. Frank, you gotta check out my proposal. This is a really good thing. We need to save these buildings. Um, and I've got a plan. And Frank looks at it, he's intrigued. And he says, you're, you're doing this all wrong. You're trying to sell this as an economic development project. It's a quality of life project. Saving these buildings makes Pekin a better, more interesting town. Wow. I'm like, all right, I'll just sell, it, sell it however you want, Frank. I just want to yeah. get these buildings under construction because I need to build something, right? I'm Jones and I, I haven't built anything in a couple of years. And I, and, and I build things, right? That's what I do. And, 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 and even more, you know, along the way, we had built a couple of churches, right? And, and uh, are done remodels of churches. And the work you do in a church is 100-year work. You know, you don't, a church is not like a, like a gap store. Gap stores are seven-year work. Every seven years, we re, I remodeled so many of the same stores that I had built previously, right? right so you right. take everything in the store, you put it in a dumpster, and then you put all new stuff in the store. You don't do that with a church and you don't do it with a century old building. Every time we work on a century old building, we position it for the next hundred years. And, and for me, that was a more meaningful, that was a more meaningful use of my skills and my time. Right. So that, that just, a, just a touch on what motivated me to be interested in historic downtowns. So so we go through this process and we put it in front of city council and we get a unanimous yes, right? They're, the city's gonna partner with me. They're gonna put $600,000 into this project. Um, I, I find a partner and I'm like, hey, a good old friend. I've known, I've known the guy since I was born. My dad and his dad have been friends since kindergarten. And um, Steve runs a successful mechanical company. Um, that does electric and plumbing and pipe fitting and HVAC work at a, at a really large level. And I run a commercial carpentry company that we take care of the architectural trades. So kind of a nice mix. And I go to Steve and I say, Hey, I've got this project. I think I'm going to get it. I think I'm going to get it funded. Um, it's in Pekin. 
would you be interested in, in investing? And, and his first response was, I have, you, you've got to be crazy, right? Nobody's invested anything in Pekin for 25 years in downtown. Um, it's really, that's a, that's a horrible idea. Uh, so I take him to the project and we walk the block and I share my vision and he starts to get interested. And, and I just wait. And a week later, he calls me back, says, let's talk more about that. Right. So now he's, he's bought in. Now I have a partner, um, which both, both to have a part, a, a really, if, if I can't attract a partner to a project, um, then I realize maybe I'm crazy and, you know, and going, may, maybe my vision isn't valid. But if I can trust, if I can attract a smart business person to a project, then, then, then I get some different perspective and I get, um, I, 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 I realize maybe, maybe it's, it's a valid project, right? So Absolutely. Steve comes, Steve comes on board. We buy a couple of buildings together. We engage the, the city. We, we leverage um, the city's TIF dollars that they were going to use to take the buildings down, taking the tax base to zero. And we, um, we revitalize or, or stabilize these buildings. New roof just takes like a year and a half. A whole block of buildings. We all new bricks, all new, or all new tuck pointing, all new interior demo. Right, get rid of all the all the fit and finish that's happened over a hundred years. So generally, the walls are built in two or three times. The floors are built up three or four times. The ceilings are built down, and and we uncover all of this horrendous structural damage and 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 failing electrical systems and like all this just nastiness of century old buildings that haven't had any maintenance for 30 or 40 years. We get the buildings that opened up. They're all now, now at the end of this, the stabilization. We spent the city's money. We spent, I don't know, maybe a million dollars of our money. And we've got these buildings that are um, really tenant ready. And, you know, we're kind of scratching our heads going, well, what, what now, right? Now we got to attract, now we got to see if we can get somebody in these buildings. Um, along comes Eric Reeder. Eric Reeder is a total downtown nerd. Eric loves the idea of restoration of downtowns. He's followed it in, in other towns that have revitalized. And Eric says, we've got to do a, we've got to do a, a better blocks uh, event here. And I'm like, I, what, what's better blocks? He goes, it's where I'll, he goes, I'm going to come in here if you'll let me, and I'm going to stage all of these spaces on this block as if they were open for business. I'm going to bring in a barber. I'm going to, I'm going to set up a bar. I'm going to bring in some live music. I'm going to put plants and bicycles out front. I'm going to stage this thing like it's a vibrant block. Gosh, I'm that's like, smart. All right. Yeah. I'm like, all right, do that. So he comes in and he puts vinyl graphics in all of the windows. He brings in a barber who's cutting hair. We have this big event where we're serving beer and wine. and got music. Um, this is a Saturday evening. Uh, really well attended. Maybe, maybe for, for a small town, maybe maybe a couple hundred people show up to this thing. Wow. A, a, a month later, I get a call from the barber. Hey, is that space I was in still available? I'm, I'm about to close my barber shop because uh, I'm not getting any traffic out here at my old place and I really like that old building. I'd like to move in. Sure, what do you need? So we talk through it and, and we create a really attractive lease and Jake moves in. 
then I get a call from a, uh, no, then I'm out, I'm out at a, uh, a bar one night with my wife and some friends and, uh, a friend of mine who's got a pretty high level position at a at Caterpillar tractor company. He says, uh, he's like, man, it, this place is packed. He goes, you can't get any service. And you see the owner come behind the bar and he gets a bucket of beer for him and his friends and doesn't serve anybody and walks out. And Dustin says to me, if, if I own this bar, I would serve my customers, not myself. And I said, Absolutely. really, do you have a desire to own a bar? Yeah, I'd love to open a bar and a restaurant. He tells me his vision. I go, all right, meet me in the 200 block of Court Street tomorrow morning. We meet there. I show him some space. We start talking. Um, that leads to more conversations. I bring in an architect. We design a space. And he opens a restaurant that's doing um, extremely well, right? So, so he grows into a space. Then another gentleman comes in. He needs to get out of his, but he's, he's in a, a terrible building with a terrible landlord. He hears we're pretty decent landlords, loves the idea of this revitalization. He buys the building. And, and so it goes. Now we've got this block full. City comes to us and says, can we do phase two? <laughs> now, let me stop you really quick, Todd. How many buildings were on that first block? Do you remember? I think the first project we did was about maybe 12,000 square feet, four, four buildings, maybe five. Okay. Okay. I just want, I just want to have a, a visual because I didn't know. Yep. I, yep. I, 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 don't, I just didn't know how, how many. Okay, cool. 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 So phase yep. two. Yeah. Yep. Phase two was uh, twice the size. It was uh, the city brought in 1.2 million and we probably brought in twice that. Um, we did the same thing again, filled all the buildings. How much time uh, did it take to fill the buildings in phase two from, from the beginning of, of you saying, of them saying, let's do phase two till you filled that last building. How long did that take, Todd? Generally, uh, each phase was about 18 months. Oh, wow. Really? That's not so bad. Yeah. That's not so bad at all. No, 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 no. Once you get go, you know, once it becomes a construction project and, and, and specs are written and, and we're underway, um, you can get a lot of work done, you know, and we didn't hold it all to one contractor. We did a lot of the, uh, the skills we were good at. We brought in house and the, and the, um, other trades, you know, we, we brought in multiple, we might have, we might have, uh, three or four plumbers working on, you know, each on a different building, um, three or four painters, you know, three or four brick masons. So kind of spread, wanted to spread the work out, you know, in the community and, and also, uh, uh, stay on schedule. So yeah, not bad. You know, what, one thing maybe I'll touch on that we realized, um, so almost all of our tenants were, were people with a bright idea and some technical skills who knew very little about running a business. And the first person that moved into one of our buildings, um, I could see that he had some 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 issues in his in his business, right? I could see there were some things that weren't going to work. And I didn't say anything. I just leased him the building and thought, well, you know, that's uh, he'll figure it out or he won't. And six months later, they moved out. And it broke my heart because I knew that they had kind of 
scrapped together everything they could to do the interior build out, to make this their home. They had a vision to run their business. And, um, and they had some, some very uh, basic um, issues that if they would have dealt with, their business would have been successful and sustainable for years to come. So from that point forward, I made it a, a mission to coach everybody who would accept coaching that wanted to come into our buildings. So as to say, if you show up to me with a bright idea and, um, and you want to rent a space, we're going to talk about your business model. I'm going to get to know what you do. I'm going to ask some good questions. And, um, and by doing that, you know, 85% of business is business. And if I apply that to what they show up with, the 15% of technical skills and, and uh, you know, 10 to 15% is what most bright ideas people show up with. They know their skill, they're passionate about it, um, and they have no business acumen at all. And I thought if I could apply what I've learned doing business at the level I've done it nationally to these small businesses, show them how to engage an accountant, how to engage an attorney, how to structure their company, and you know how to create a dashboard and track what's going on in your business, that their chance of success is much greater. And from that point forward, our businesses have had a 100% success rate. From that point forward, I never lost a tenant. Dude, that is such a powerful thing, Todd. I mean, gosh, a lot of people would not have viewed it that way and probably wouldn't have taken the time to help these individuals that just needed a little bit of guidance. So, wow, that's incredible. Now, is this the only, okay, go ahead. Well, just to, just, just to touch on that, so think about how much time that, for me, that time was, you know, um, when I coach people and they say, oh, I don't have time for this, or I don't have time for that, or I'm not making money. And my, my response is usually, almost everybody can find another hour in the morning. You find it by getting out of bed earlier, right? That's right. And, and, and that's where you find your time. And so for me, I looked at that and go, you're right. I got a lot going on. Where am I going to find time for these people? So I'm like, well, I got to eat lunch every day. So each business, I would say, you know, the, the conversation would start by, I'll meet you for, if you really want to do this, I'll agree to meet you every Tuesday. We'll take an hour lunch. I'll buy lunch. And we'll do that for four weeks. If you continue to do your homework and, and, and do what's in front of you, we'll do it for eight weeks. And, uh, and by eight weeks, we should have a pretty solid plan put together to see if your business will work. We'll understand your space budget. How much room do you need to do what you're doing? What kind of capital are you going to need? So really, it was just eight lunch meetings, getting to know somebody and know their plan. Some people, um, some people don't show up to the second lunch meeting. And then three weeks later, they call and say, hey, I want to talk about that some more. I'll give them one chance, right? Don't, don't waste your time and don't waste my time. If you come every week for eight weeks, you're going to have a business model. And, and that's how I did it. You know, every, every, I just had lunch with these people, right? That's it. Man, that's incredible. So after you finished with this town, what did you do next? Um, well, I got a call from another town. 
and they said uh, they wanted me to build a hotel on the riverfront. We need a developer to build a hotel on the riverfront. I'm like, okay, I'll come look at that. Sounds like a cool project. So I go down and look at it. Similar situation, super high vacancy rate, a lot of blight. And, and my response was, you know, you don't, you're not ready for new construction. You're not an investable marketplace. Nobody's going to come. Why would people come to your hotel if your downtown's in this condition? Like, let's be real. True. Um, she's like, I know, but it just seems like building a new hotel is so much simpler than trying to fix all of these buildings with multiple owners and, and absentee owners and, and, the, and the condition of the buildings. I'm like, sure, it's a complex problem, but unless you solve it, um, you're going to create another complex problem on top of it, right? A big one. So how can, so she was excited. How can you help me? Can you help me do what you didn't peek in? Can you come buy buildings? I said, no, but here's the risk of me coming and buying buildings. You have one person owning all of your buildings. That's a risk because if something happens to me, it's game over for your town. So let's talk about how to move all your buildings into a diverse, responsible ownership. Let's talk about that as a strategy, right? It's not, not for me. I don't want to own your town. But I want, your, I want to help you improve your town. So we started down a path in Havana, Havana, Illinois, like Havana, Cuba, um, of, of partnering. And they had, they had some TIF dollars, too. They had some tools, in, some financial tools in the toolbox. So we started down a path of creating some programs. Well, first we did the inventory that I did in Pekin, um, which has kind of become our, our standard operating procedure. Go in, do an inventory of who's here, what's here, um, and, and what's needed. So we talked to all of the building and business owners in downtown um, that were left and talked to them about succession planning, talked to them about if, if there was capital available, what would they do? What do they think they need to do to their buildings? And then of course added added to that because we had some experience in in these century old buildings and and through those conversations we put together some programs that allowed people to bring their money to the table partner with some city dollars and stabilize their own buildings right we just applied what i did and i think we did um in this little town of maybe maybe there's three thousand people there we did about four million dollars in renovation work where people actually did their own work on their buildings and that led to a complete new streetscape downtown um about maybe 17 new building owners i was just at a meeting about reopening after covid on tuesday where we had you know four years after we started we had a meeting with seven boutique owners talking about how they're gonna collaborate to keep the same hours um, this is a town that obviously had no boutiques, uh, just a lot of vacant space. And now we have a meeting with seven boutique owners in this town or having a, a boutique hop where people come into town, they drink wine, they travel around. Um, they're commenting on how it's tough to find a parking place now because, you know, the streets are always full. The, the downtowns become the place where everybody walks their dogs and walks their kids and the community um, come together in this town that, and the other challenge is now there's no vacancy. So people want to come here and open a space, but the, you know, the vacancy is so limited that uh, it's tough to find a place, right? Which, which drives the value up, which drives the EAV up for the town while creating sales tax. And you know, all of these wonderful things are happening um, because we created a strategy to lift 
to lift the lift the water, lift the tide, right? And a rising tide lifts all boats. So, um, so that's what we did in Havana. And then, you know, and then we get a call from another town, and then another town. So, we're uh, we're uh, doing quite a bit of consulting around that, helping people understand how to how to identify what's here and create a strategy to make it better. Todd, so, have you ever really sat, I'm sure you have, but I have to ask the question, do you ever sit back and think about how many lives that you've changed through this work, dude? I mean, like, <laughs> I, I'm sure the, 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 the number, you can't even put a, a quantity on it, but that's got to make you feel pretty damn good, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't think about it much. It, 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 it's very humbling, right? And my son pointed it out once. Um, a quick story about a gentleman who came to work for me as a carpenter. We were remodeling a, a historic hotel in Peoria, Illinois, as a construction company, and I needed to hire a foreman for the job. And and uh, there was somebody that I wanted to hire. Um, and uh, Adam came to me, and 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 while we're talking, he's talking to me about his passion for for sports performance training. He likes to build athletes to be the best they can be. And he's really actually pretty good at it. And so Adam tells me um, all about this. And I said, well, why, why do you want to work for me? You should open a gym. Like, why, why do you want to be? A, well, he goes, I love carpentry too. I love what I do. I just, I love to train people. I love them both. So I said, I'll tell you what, you come to work and run this project for me and I'll help you open a sports performance gym. Mm. So Adam and I work together. He still works for me. He, he works um, less hours for me than anybody else. And he produces more work. We opened a sports performance gym. Uh, there's a gentleman named Sean Livingston that Adam coached. Sean was the sixth man on the Golden State Warriors for the last six years. Dang! Adam helped him come back from a knee injury where he was playing in, the, in, in Europe to position himself to go to work for the Golden State Warriors. Wow. He works for me. He also, when I understood, my son sent me a clip in the paper about a eighth grade basketball team that Adam coached at Juan State. And Michael's comment in the email he sent me was, Dad, this is your ripple effect. Not mm. just these kids and, and having a championship to base the rest of their life on, but the experience that is for their family, you know, for their grandparents, for their parents, the pride in their community, like all of this happened because you embraced Adam's passion for, to open a sports performance training center, not just embraced it, but financed the startup, helped him with his business model. And, and, and then, you know, and so, so every once in a while, you get a stop and you'll read this article and you're like, yeah, um, we, we help that person start that business. And because that person is able to communicate and, and, and communicate their passion to the community, these things happen, right? It's, it's the ripple effect. All because so how big is it? I don't know. No idea. All because you took one meeting at that first downtown <laughs> meeting. One meeting. Well, be, millions yeah. of dollars. Yeah. And I and I didn't I didn't make it about me. 
You know, I show up yeah. collaborative, not competitive. I didn't make it about, oh, you know, I don't want to hear about your sports performance. I want to hear about how you're going to, how you're going to make me money in the carpentry world. Right. That's not who I am. And I think that's the other thing is we, we all are somebody at our core. We're all somebody good. And if you allow yourself to be, if you allow that goodness to, um, to shine, the ripple effect is exponentially good. Is that, I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I have the right words for what I'm trying Dude, to say. But. No, you, you're, you, that makes 100% sense because listen, the thing is this, you know, when you have good intentions and, and really it's intention, you're, you know, if you have good intentions and you're a good person, you're going to make, you're going to make other people, uh, you're, you're going to help other people's lives and you're going to help change their lives. And it's just, a, it's, it's like you said, ripple effect of being a good person, being grateful and having great intentions are, you know, it makes all the difference in the world. Right. Exactly. And, 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 you know, my wife and I talk sometimes, I, I've never, financially, I've never not had more than enough. Right. And, and. And early in life, that was what felt like just barely getting by, right? Looking back, it's like, how did we make it on so little? But it was more than enough. And this is the right? thing, Todd, you are so humble. Like, you, you hesitated, I noticed, when you started to say that because you're so humble that you almost <laughs> didn't want to say that we had, we've always had more than we needed. But... That's okay, because you, the humbleness is, I can feel it through your voice, Todd, and that is so important, dude. I, I, you, you just, you've got a heart of gold. I don't know any other way to be than how I am. I love that, dude. This is, man. I don't, you, I don't know. I don't know how to do anything different. Well, guess what? You don't need to do anything different because what you're doing is working. So, <laughs> well, yeah. listen, so, gosh, go ahead. Yeah. No, no, that's, that's, yeah, you just got to just show up every day and, and, and be the best you you can be. I, I, I tell people that it's like, it doesn't matter. Your, your best you today will be different than your best you yesterday or tomorrow. It might be better. It might be worse, but you just, you just be your best you today. You know, you can, I joke with my wife, uh, you know, I don't know, we could go, we could talk forever, but, you know, creating paradigm shifts for me is really important. If things aren't going the way you want, then do something different. Wake up an hour earlier or clean out your car every time you get out of it or make your bed as soon as you get out of the, get up in the morning, like come up with some new way of being and you'll see some residual effects from that. Sounds strange, but it doesn't. Um, it not no. What not, it, it does not. It doesn't sound strange to me. It's all. It's a. Everything is a choice, and you can make a choice. To I'm so happy you said that about the bed because really, Todd, waking up in the morning and making your bed is the first right thing that you can do when you're lucky enough to wake up. Yeah, it sets you up with something. You've completed something for the day. That's right. And and Absolutely. where I was going with that is that some mornings the bed looks better than other mornings. But I, I, did, I did my best for that day. 
right? I did it. I gave it what I had for that day. And, and I'm okay with that. You know, I'll come in at the end of the day sometimes and go, wow, didn't really, didn't really organize the pillows too well. Or, or, you know, or I'll come in and say, wow, look, the room looks awesome today. Right. And, and, and they're both good. They're both okay. Yeah. It just was what I had. It's what I had that day. It's what I, I gave what I had to give that day. And I don't beat myself up that, that today isn't as good as yesterday or, or tomorrow, you know, has to be better. I did my best today. And that's all you can do. That's, that's what I can do. That's, that's what right. I can do. Uh, and and it, 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 it's so easy to create stress in your life. If, if what you, if you, if you never believe what you did was good enough. Right. But if you accept that this was my best today, it, it alleviates a lot of stress. That is probably out of this whole conversation. That's one of the most powerful things that you've said. Um, and it's so simplistic, right? And, and I say that because guess what? I create stress on myself. You know, I wish I could look, no, I shouldn't say I wish. I now, after having this conversation with you, um, I, I'm going to start looking at every day that way because I, if I'm being 100% transparent, I don't look at every day like I did my best. I always think I could have done better. And if I could have done better, I would have done better. Right. But so I'm so glad that you said that because that really, 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 that touched me. Um, yeah, give yourself a break, man. That was powerful. You know what's funny? I'll tell you a quick, a really quick story. I'm dry. So I just, I bought a new car and it doesn't matter what it is. Sure. And, and, and so I'm driving it the first day and I'm driving it home from uh, with my company and, and, and it, there's a light that comes on. It says, take a break with a coffee cup. And I'm like, <laughs> that is so interesting why they would put that in a vehicle and it comes on randomly. It's crazy. It's so weird. I don't know where it comes from. I don't know why it comes on. I'm like, am I jamming on the brakes too hard? Am I am I driving too fast? Am I taking turns? I don't know. And it's so funny because it really makes you think, like, you know, like you said, don't be so hard on yourself. You know? Right. Right. Start your so, day with a break, right? Yeah, yeah. And just, you know, like you said, put the best foot forward and, and, and do your best. And that's all you can do. And, and, and yeah. with, with that, let's, let's wrap up. Todd, this has been phenomenal, dude. This has been phenomenal. Thank you so much for coming on today. I really, really appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. Anytime, anytime. I enjoyed the conversation. My pleasure. All right. We will. Uh, thank you, Todd. I will talk to you soon, brother. Have a good day. All right. If you took anything away from this podcast, make sure you subscribe, leave a review, and go check out some other episodes on SuccessfulLifePodcast.com. This is the Successful Life. Thank you for tuning in to the Successful Life Podcast. We hope today's insights have ignited your passion and provided tools to shape your leadership journey. Remember, greatness is a journey, not a destination. Continue your pursuit by exploring more resources and insights over at coreybarrier.com. Until next time, keep leading, keep learning, and keep striving for excellence. Stay inspired and see you on the next episode.